Theorizing that podcast audiences wanted to listen to two grown men talk about time travel, Nate Bowden and Brian Martin started a show dedicated to Quantum Leap. Together, they explore NBC's revival of the franchise, starring Raymond Lee and Caitlin Bassett, and its connections to the original series. They also examine spin-offs, such as novels and comics, as well as some mirror images in the form of television shows and movies that share creative DNA with the adventures of Sam Beckett and Ben Song. And so Nate and Brian find themselves leaping from topic to topic, striving to make sense of it all, and hoping each time that their next episode will be the one that goes viral. Ho, 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 boy! It's a Quantum Leap Christmas. My name is Nate, and my only guide on this podcast, Brian Martin. Merry Christmas, Brian. Oh, Merry Christmas, Nate. It's uh, Christmas morn. Christmas morning, yes. <laughs> and despite what you may think, we are actually here recording live on Christmas morning. Yes. Uh, I've left my family, <laughs> what, nestled in their beds? Right. With visions of sugar plums and whatnot? Right. Sure. Still dancing, those sugar plums. <laughs> Always dancing. God. Well, like we said last week, Christmas, of course, falling on a Monday, and we like to try and have our podcasts out on a Monday morning, and we thought, well, what are we going to cover for a Christmas day? Yeah. If only there were some sort of quantum leap that was entirely focused on Christmas. Probably more than one. Don't you think? Is, is there more than one? Definitely one other one that takes place at Christmas, and that's the one where brothers that are knocking over the bank. Oh. The foreclosure episode. That's a Christmas one? Because at the end of the episode, Sam embraces his dad and says, Merry Christmas. We might want to uh, tackle that one here coming up, too, because isn't that the one we say mirrors Ben and Teller? Ben and Teller, yeah. That was the one that came up a lot when we were talking about Ben and Teller. Yeah, we might cover that before too long also. That's not the episode we're talking about Not tonight. today. We're going to cover one that, well, I'm not sure how to describe it, honestly. Oh, I do. <laughs> this episode is titled A Little Miracle. It's a season three episode of the original Quantum Leap series. Right. And who accepted the nudge? Nate, it's Christmas. Mm -hmm. I've got something very special for you. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready and willing. Twas the night before Christmas. Oh, goodness. <laughs> in the city that doesn't sleep. And Sam's found himself in a heck of a leap. <laughs> He's putting the pants on a right miserable jerk. And changing his mood will take some hard work. A greedy developer who loves to do math. And the Salvation Army is right in his path. A mission at Christmas. And let me tell you, mister, it's run by none other than Scully's hot sister. <laughs> he'll tear the mission down with all of his power and build a monstrosity that he'll call Blake Towers. But there is a wrinkle, and you won't believe this, fam. Michael Blake can see our favorite hologram. So Sam and Al conspire in their singular goal. They make plans to scrooge him and save his lost soul. Oh my god. This is why you couldn't record the other night, right? Because you I were had to spent all the yeah. time sitting here writing this. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I was busy workshopping a poem for you, ungrateful <laughs> bastards. <laughs> That's wonderful. I 
Enjoyed that thoroughly. That was way better than my uh, ho, ho, ho boy thing. The first line that occurred to me was Scully's hot sister, incidentally. I, I built the whole poem around that. That line, huh? <laughs> I didn't even realize that that was Scully's hot sister. I love these two people. Charles Rocket as Michael Blake in this episode. I love Charles Rocket. What else do we know him from? Well, he played essentially the same character, although a little bit smarmier and far less redeemable on Max Headroom. Okay. He's probably best known as the villain from Dumb and Dumber. Bet that's where I saw it, yeah. And he's also, this is an interesting little Quantum Leap tidbit, he's one of a handful of actors to appear as different characters in more than one episode of the original Quantum Leap. Oh. He played a character called, get this, Dirk Riker <laughs> in A Leap for Lisa, which is the season four finale. Yeah. So yeah, he comes back as Dirk Riker, which is... I'm sorry. I don't know who wrote the episode of Leap for Lisa. Now I want to go back and check. Was it Belisario? I don't know. But Dirk Riker is a name that's too good to use in a one-off character. <laughs> Dirk Riker could have carried a goddamn franchise. <laughs> well, maybe there's still time. So, well, there's not for Charles Rocket because he passed away several years ago. Oh, that's too bad. Uh, Charles Rocket, also a Saturday Night Live alum from the 80 to 81 season. Really? Yeah, he doesn't seem very funny, does he? But he was on SNL. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Melinda McGraw. And I'm not kidding when I say that Scully's sister was hot. Do you guys remember Scully's sister? Melissa Scully famously left the family and went on like a journey to find herself when Scully was like in high school. Okay. And Melissa Scully is really into like new age mysticism, Wiccan kind of shit. When she showed up on the show, it was like season one. I think it was the episode where Scully's dad dies, Beyond the Sea. Okay. She's only in like four episodes, maybe tops of the show before Crycheck fucking kills her. Oof. Asshole. But she comes in and I'm like, what is this? <laughs> you know, it's like, Scully, you didn't tell me you had a hot sister, but... uh. Well, yeah, I think most got... of us were falling for Scully anyway. But Melissa Scully comes in in like a choker, and she's clearly got this mm -hmm. energy that's much more aligned with Mulder's, and it's like, oh, she's freaky. I like this. <laughs> Incidentally, where else would you know Melinda McGraw from? She played Barbara Gordon in The Dark Knight. Really? Commissioner Gordon's wife, the one that is relieved that he's still alive and then hits him because he's still alive. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway. Love these two. Love these two. Could not have been more pleased. I knew Charles Rocket was in it, but I forgot that Melinda McGraw played Captain Laura Downey of the Salvation Army in this episode. Yeah, I liked her in this. Overall, how cheery did you feel about this episode? You said hmm. you watched it a couple of days ago, but prior to that. <laughs> Probably a couple decades. I don't know. And how much of an impression had it left on you? It made a huge impression on me. In, like, 91, 92, 93, this was, like, a regular Christmas viewing for me. Oh. Like, lumped in with everything else. Like, okay. I would take time out, and usually on Christmas Eve, I would take time out and watch this episode again. I see. So you have some uh, affinity for this episode, I assume. 100%. And there were lines of dialogue and moments that I remembered when Charles Rocket goes up to the mission at the end, do you have room in there for one more lost soul? I know that line. I haven't forgotten these moments when Al is kind of yelling at him, at Blake, and Sam is kind of mouthing the dialogue alongside him. Uh -huh. I remember that moment. This episode 
tells a Scrooge story, right? A Christmas Carol story. It's just another repackaged version of that. Mm -hmm. But it's done with that Quantum Leap twist. And I kind of liken it to... You know, like every recording artist has to put out like their Christmas. a Christmas album. Their Christmas album. Like once their star is fading, that last little bump. And it's always the same goddamn shit, right? Like there's only one fairy tale of New York. Most of you don't have that in you. The best anybody can do is put their own unique spin on it, right? You know that for the dancer, Prancer and Vixen, Common and Cupid and Donner and Blitzen. I'm thinking of DMX's release <laughs> of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And if you haven't heard that, guys, you owe it to yourself. It's DMX, it's Rudolph, Are You Not Entertained? I was going to say, you're already listening to us on Spotify. Might as well. <laughs> just, just hop on over, hop take on a second. Over. We'll wait, we'll yeah. wait. It's only like a minute and a half long, <laughs> but the, so we take these old stories. We kind of, there's been Mickey's Christmas Carol. There's been Muppet Christmas Carol. It's, everybody's had a Christmas Carol story, right? What can you do that's different? One of the ideas that I actually had, you could almost just cover a Christmas Carol, mm-hmm. any of them. It's a time travel story, right? Absolutely. Probably one of the first, if I had to guess. I think the time machine, H.G. Wells' time machine, is generally regarded as the first time travel story, right? But which is published first? I think Wells beat him to the punch. We're going to have to look this up. All right, here we go. The time machine. And we're not talking about the 2002 film. No. H.G. Wells published. Oh, no, this this could be close. This could be very, very close. Time machine, 1895. Ooh, that's a lot older than I thought it was. But that's closer to Christmas Carol than I thought it was. I think Christmas Carol's got it beat, though. 1843. Whoa! Wow, yeah, definitely. Whoa, hella beat it. I thought that was about the era that Wells was writing, so I was way off the mark on that one. But so, yeah, so Christmas Carol, I guess. Probably the is... first time travel story. Maybe. I guess we got to figure that out, though. Like, I'm now I'm curious. Now we're the curious. first time travel story. Yeah. Well, if it's not that, it certainly is one. Traveling to the past, traveling to the future, and that's a topic that I feel like we should tackle if we're still doing this in a couple of Christmas years, <laughs> you know, yeah, right. like next Christmas. <laughs> uh, because I love this story. I love mm-hmm. this story. Almost any adaptation of this story I really enjoy. My favorite being the Muppet Christmas Carol, honestly. Oh, sure. Because Kane does a magnificent job playing Scrooge. He plays it so straight. And so perfectly, as well as anybody has played that character. And the fact that he's surrounded by Muppets may theatrically diminish him. Oh, well, you can't take that seriously. It's the Muppets. But he is spectacular in that. And just the adaptation is is. wonderful. And I'm glad you mentioned that because that's the hard thing about making a movie like A Muppet Christmas Carol, right? Mm -hmm. Is being the straight man. And maintaining it and making you believe it. Right. Right? Yeah. And Kane is such a consummate thespian <laughs> that it doesn't matter if he's acting next to a puppet. Yeah, it doesn't matter. This is a fabric frog with a man's hand up his ass. <laughs> <laughs> he's just wonderful. The story on a whole, just the idea of a Christmas carol was written to change people's minds about the holiday. Commissioned by the government, I think. 
for him, yeah. for Dickens to write something to shift the narrative on an entire holiday that is the biggest in the world. Yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah, it was serialized, I think, in like, what, five parts or something or six parts. Right. And it was um, literally to change people's minds about how to feel about the holiday. And it and it worked. And it's still doing the work. I don't know about you, but I can't think of a week that goes by that I don't think about how nice it would be if someone got Scrooged, you know, (laughs) where I see somebody and I'm like, maybe it's in my real life. Maybe it's somebody in the news for one reason or another, but Mm. this person could be Scrooged. And that's what makes a character like Blake in this episode such a good mark for it. He is a classically written Scrooge character but with a sensibility of modern developer. Yeah, it takes place in 1962, Mm -hmm. but it almost doesn't matter. From the industrial age forward, a version of this character exists. Yeah, the real estate mogul from New York that is ready to tear down the Salvation Army to put his name on a building that stretches to the sky. Yeah, and that's Um, really the fascinating thing about it. It's like, do we know what's in the building? No. Do we know what the plans are for the... No. All we know is it's going to be a giant-ass building with his name on it. He sees that the towers won't always have his name when he looks into the future, right? Right. And he just loses his shit. Not only a fall from grace, but he's going to fall from the top of the building. Right. I am Ozymandias, king of kings. So, you have an affinity for this episode. I, For Absolutely. me, it was revisiting. I knew it existed in that had enough of an impact on me from the original watch through that it was like oh yeah and then there's that episode that scrooged (laughs) watching it again it has several hallmarks of traditional quantum leap things that you point to that are like yep i know this from quantum leap i know that from quantum leap but all in all i do not think that this is a particularly good episode of quantum leap Okay. When I watch this episode, it really feels like it should be a Quantum Leap comic book. (laughs) It would be a better Christmas story than the one that's in the actual Quantum Leap comic. It's almost too... Schmaltzy? Too sweet? Too saccharine? Too obvious, I guess. I know it's following the pattern that Charles Dickens laid out, and so be it, but it just kind of feels a little hokey... Like some of the other episodes don't. I see what you're saying. I don't disagree with that. I think that for me, there are two things that make this valuable as a televised episode. And one is Charles Rocket's performance. Once we get him out of that penthouse and into the streets, there's a really delightful scene early on when they take him to his old neighborhood where he used to live as a child, right? Right. And he's looking around and he hears... He sees familiar things and he sort of has these like sort of echoes in his head of like experiences of his youth and his facial expression starts to melt and you can see him become nostalgic and then sort of pining for it. And then he runs into his old friend and they have an encounter. And to me, Charles Rocket is so good at towing the line between insufferable asshole and like a kid who is missing a part of himself, just like Charles Foster Kane or or Scrooge, right? Mm-hmm. That's the one he kind of hallucinates the boys playing stickball. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I got a little confused by that because I was like, are they 
scrooging him right now? Like, is this something that they put together? Or I get the impression it's not. It's I just think it was a, just he's him. already prone to hallucination. Then <laughs> because we because we've <laughs> <laughs> he obviously drinks heavily. <laughs> But they had deliberately changed the pattern, right? So he couldn't pick up the imaging chamber or see Al or anything. So I really do think it was just something that was occurring to him in that moment. And it's a place he hasn't been in years yeah, and years but and years. It's so it's it does sort of break the language of the show though. I right, get what you're because saying. he not only has a hallucination about it, but he expects that other people saw them too. And we don't normally see things from the perspective of the characters Sam is there to help, right? We see things from True. Sam's perspective. Yeah, yeah. But in this episode, we are either explicitly or implicitly, in this scene, asked to see things from Blake's perspective. Right. Throughout his journey, we are subjecting ourselves to him and privy to things that he can see that maybe even Sam can't. So it does break with what you come to expect from the narrative language of Quantum Leap. Right. I uh, curtailed your story there. The second thing that you were going to bring up. The second thing is Al. God. <laughs> I love the moment when the Salvation Army appears in the lobby of this place. and The foyer. Blake, the, the foyer, yes. <laughs> uh, Blake comes out to confront them, and Al is there the whole time, and this is something I made a note of because I love seeing it in old Quantum Leap and you never see it in new Quantum Leap. All of this action is happening in the foreground. Al is in the background. He is dead center and slightly out of focus. And he's just looking back and forth as these people have conversations. And he's reacting so emotively with his face, like a cartoon character in the background <laughs> doing this, right? He's garishly dressed which is something that Sam points out early on because it's not Christmas time where Al is. He's dressed in like a Hawaiian shirt. It's right. great. It's a great design choice. <laughs> He's dressed like a waiter at Trader Vic's or something. Trader Vic's, yeah. <laughs> it's great. What a great line. But that's really effective use of the hologram because the hologram is our avatar in this scene. We are slightly removed from this and just looking back and forth as this stuff happens. And then Al makes an audience comment. Yeah. Something about he's doing his job, which is being a grouch. Which, yeah, start worrying about your job and let me worry about mine. And Al says, which is being a grouch. And then Blake stops dead in his tracks, backs up, turns his head, and looks right at Al. What a great moment. Yeah. You don't expect it. We and never see this Al happen. doesn't pick up on it right away either. <laughs> no, it's Until so he good. starts talking to him. And thankfully, he turns his back entirely to Al. Yeah. <laughs> he just turns completely around so that he has his back to Al so that Al can disappear. And I love but that. Yeah, is this great at the end when Al reappears? You're that jerk from the lobby. <laughs> <laughs> I recognize your bad clothes and pale complexion. Yeah. Is this such an inventive little thing? But what that moment allows you to do with this ghost of Christmas future stuff? Mm-hmm. That's why I love this episode. It's very convenient that it's way, such a, for But sure. it's such a unique episode of Quantum Leap as a result of that, right? It's extraordinarily it convenient that the man we need to Scrooge on Christmas Eve can see Al and we're able to just create these holographic illusions. For him to and, see. Yeah. For him to see, yeah. It's definitely fitting of the episode. It's narratively very easy, but when you think right. about it, the whole story is already there for them. Yeah, I think what that's are they, what, what are they doing? 
they're adding a hologram they're adding some sci-fi elements and they're creating a situation where it's like this is more or less modern times right and i I think that's where i trip over this a little bit like i can enjoy it for what it's supposed to be but if i'm gonna weigh it as an episode of quantum leap every episode is solving a problem at its best right seems like this newer show they put him in scenarios where he has a mission like we have to do this sometimes very literally yes yeah more frequently in the original series it was more like there's a problem here it's almost a mystery we're not a hundred percent sure what we're supposed to be doing here Even when they think they know what they're supposed to do, it's never 100% from Ziggy. It's like, Ziggy says there's a 78% chance that you're supposed to be doing this. And they just kind of try and figure it out. Old Quantum Leap is always like, uh, Ziggy says there's a 78% chance that Sally gets sad and then wrecks her car into a tree. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, it's just these like weird little tiny incidental things that happen. I mean, it makes sense because it's all based on probability, based on what information Ziggy has. Right. So they're never like, it's definitely this. Most of these people that Sam is helping on these leaps didn't have biographers. Right. 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 Like like we're working from very limited information. So I think the mystery aspect and problem solving that are in some of the best episodes of Quantum Leap is absent here because we're already following the formula that we all already understand. And even Sam and Al understand it. Yeah, right. right. None of us, there's no mystery here for any of us. We all know what this story is. We all know how it has to play out. Right, but when I take it for what it is, I can enjoy it, but I just sort of realize that it's like, you know, is is this really all that creative? No. Uh, no. Uh, when we're stacking it up against the breadth of original Quantum Leap, I don't think this episode would land in my top 20 episodes right you know? okay yeah. like it's definitely not going to get there but as a christmas episode of quantum leap i think it works pretty well and especially if this is the story we're going with this is a very interesting way to tell a very familiar story yeah and again, yeah the, the performances the performances are everything right charles rocket dean dean stockwell, stockwell. yeah dean stockwell in this episode god how much fun must he have had yeah So, so great. And again, you remember in the last episode we did talking about Nomad, Mm -hmm. I said one of my favorite things to see an actor do, a very skilled actor like Dean Stockwell playing a character, Al Calavici, who himself is a bad actor. Right. (laughs) Right? And so when we get to see Al hamming it up as this ghost of Christmas future, that's just The ghost outfit that he decides to wear. He's wearing the chains and like like a ragged suit for some reason. Blake calls him out on it like Jacob Marley wore the chains. Yeah. It's like, what? Why are you dressed that way? It would like make so much more sense just to show up in a super sharp suit with a blood red tie or something like that. You know, this is one of the things I really love about that outfit. Like if this had been a new episode of Quantum Leap of the current series, we would have gotten a scene where Al and Tina were just throwing shit together. Oh, like 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 back at the project? Back at the project, right? Because it looks like something that he literally just threw together. Down to the makeup, which he clearly got from Spirit Halloween, and just hastily applied to the extent that the mark on his neck, did you see? It's just like a handprint. Like he got his hand all black and did like this. And put it under there because he's got his his thumb on his right hand side and then the fingers on the left hand side. Yeah, that's pretty funny. It's like I didn't know I didn't never notice that. 
it's so homemade. And I'm like, I gotta, I gotta give them props on that because well, somebody like this Al is like the character they're always really designing crazy costumes for, and this one was so ramshackle. I loved it. And that scene where he's rattling the chains or whatever that makes it to the opening title crawl. It does. It's, it's one of the clips from the opening sequence of season three. Mm-hmm. It's memorable. I'll give it that. But the thing you've mentioned twice outside of this recording is the leap in oh god the leap in when sam materializes in the body of reginald pearson reginald (laughs) poor son of a gun who is a dumpy bob hoskins looking dude yeah he He when he sees himself in the mirror he's visibly yeah he is visibly disappointed with his (laughs) physical appearance like he looks at this guy in the mirror and is like this fucker (laughs) Like, you know who he, guy. I like, mentioned Bob Hoskins, but who he looks more like is John Polito. Yeah, yeah, and he was on Homicide, right? And he was in uh, The Big Lebowski. He played the- Barton Fink, Man Who Wasn't There. He's like a Coen Brothers favorite. Yeah, yeah, he is kind of like that guy for sure, for sure. <laughs> this is also after he's been walking around making a complete clown out of himself. But, um, <laughs> but Reginald Pearson, uh, I Sam really like in. legitimately felt bad for that guy. He's like, oh come on, <laughs> you know. Sam leaps in, and it is the worst situation to leap into, where he is literally putting underwear on Blake for him. If there is a god or fate or time that is leaping Sam around, somebody must have pissed in his cornflakes that morning because (laughs) who would do that to a person? I mean, he was almost going to forget the towel. (laughs) Right. To their credit, that is the fastest, most effective route to let you know who these two people are and what their relationship to one another is. That's, yeah. I have no questions. No questions about what this is, and it lets us get to the story really, really quick. Yeah. The first scene after the opening titles... From the time that Blake comes out and sits down at the table to the time that they confront the Salvation Army in the foyer. Because he's also got that other wormy yes man. Yeah, that Grima worm tongue son of a bitch that's following yeah. him around everywhere. I don't care what the doves on Capitol Hill say, sir. War is inevitable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll never go to war with Russia. Oh, if you only knew Sam Beckett. Mm. But that whole scene basically unfolds in real time. It's about 15 minutes long, and it just does so much to set up things. And it's almost like a one-act play. (laughs) Zany things keep happening. There's a lot of really funny moments. I really like that opening scene. And then the episode cuts loose, and it goes all over the place. Yeah, it's near the end of that when Al comes in and Mm -hmm. uh, Blake can see him. And the explanation for that was that he had neurons and mesons that were on a similar frequency to Sam. This is a a neurological hologram. It's an image that only you can see and hear. Created by a subatomic agitation of carbon quarks tuned to the mesons of my optic and otic neurons? Sure. Yeah. (laughs) And all he had to do was kind of tune it like a radio so Blake couldn't see him. Sounds good. Sounds good to me, you know? No, I mean, yeah, Yeah, it completely works. But that's great. I mean, like, we talked a lot, especially during season one of New Quantum Leap, Uh about how you don't have to get into these technical weeds. You don't have to explain things to us. This show is so effective when it's just saying... Technobabble. Is it fucking nonsense? Probably. I don't know any better. Just go with it. (laughs) Here's your explanation. Take it or leave it. That's not the point. Nevertheless, it works perfectly here because it's all going to be played for a joke in the end anyway. Right. Yes. The Salvation Army comes in and we learn that Blake's big plan for his tower is to tear down the Salvation Army mission. And it's happening like this week. (laughs) 
<laughs> like yeah. between Christmas and New Year's, the Salvation Army is going to be leveled. And when you see the Salvation Army there, it's a small operation, pretty small joint. They're clearly busy. Yeah. They've got a ton of unwashed children running around in there. I mean, like, honestly, the kids look like they stepped out of Victorian London, if I'm yeah, being honest. No, it's, like, it's, it's like we couldn't quite get the right era down. Yeah, for it's them. basically Oliver Twist. <laughs> yeah, they are. Please, Sam, I have another. Yeah. Although, I got to tell you, speaking of having another, Blake eventually finds his way to the Salvation Army. Just goes in there. They're singing some Christmas carols. He joins in. Seems uncomfortable, but then loves it. Again, Charles Rocket's really selling this, I think. Carol of the Bells, right? Yeah, Carol of the Bells. Little kid, little toothless kid helps him out with it, you know. And Captain Downey has some kind of Polish cake that she's serving that she made. And Blake hasn't had it since he was a little kid and his mom used to make it. Yeah, Christmas tradition. Yeah, that Polish cake stuff sounded fucking delicious, man. Like, <laughs> I don't know what this is. I don't have the right people in my life that can make this for me. I feel a little bit like Blake right now, but <laughs> I could really go for whatever this is. Yeah. And I'm not just talking about Scully's hot sister. I'm talking right. about... <laughs> You're talking about the actual cake. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely want that cake. <laughs> Blake, turns out, uh, is not his real name. The reason Ziggy cannot get a lot of information on Mr. Blake is that he changed his name as a child in order to make something of himself because he comes from that same neighborhood, right? That same kind of broken down uh, yeah, area. Yeah, was a barrio for immigrants, right? Like, right. he was once Michael Blakowski. And I mean, if the Polish cake thing didn't clue you in, I'm sure that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and Sam is able to determine this in doing the menial chores that Mr. Blake has given him, which was to clean out his closet. <laughs> clean out his closet. Get a couple suits out. And use your judgment. That's what I pay you for. Well, the judgment um, works. And Sam is just like, oh, maybe there's a box in here with a bunch of stuff in it. <laughs> I'm like, let's be honest. We all have a box with shit in it, right? We used to. Before I was, was going to say digital. Gen X people, sure. Gen X and older. All you like minimalists out there probably don't know what we're talking about. But used we're to talking about the contents of your phone in some manner of physical format. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. You know, we used to have like a good shoe box in this episode. It's a cigar box, you know, and you, right. you put stuff inside of it and keepsakes. You get yourself a good box. You store stuff in it. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't just throw it out. Come on, I, this is a good box, Nate. I don't remember when I got my last new pair of shoes. It was over a year ago, I think. Okay. I still have the box they came in. Because every time I see it, I'm like, That's a good box. something is going in there. That's a good box. It's an extraordinarily like dad <laughs> thing to do. Yes, it is. Two generations before us, it was all like, we got to store our money underneath the bed frame. <laughs> like, in between the mattress, we got to store our money in there because the banks could crash because all of our grandparents lived through the Depression. Right. For us, it's like, oh, this is a good shoebox. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I could put something in here. I remember my grandmother in her later years, I went to her little apartment in her uh, retirement home there, and she had saved all the paper cups that her little pills came in. Yeah. Just like a little paper cup. And she's not going to throw the paper cup away. You never know when you might need that. So she you had might like need a little paper cup cupboards full of these paper cups. That's the generation. They would not waste a damn thing. In her head, I'm sure there was some sort of apocalyptic scenario. My grandfather... When he passed away, my aunts cleaning out his house found all of these lottery tickets that he just hadn't cashed in yet. <laughs> what? 
Yeah, like everywhere. It was wild, you know? Like, wow. that's winnings from lottery tickets that he had stashed around the house. That's just the mindset, you know? Gotta save. So but my point is, like, somewhere in my house right now, there's probably a shoebox, and when you open it up, there's another shoebox inside of it, and so on and so forth, mm. because it's just, that's what we do. We just save shoeboxes. They're the right size. They're just the right size. You put baseball cards in them. Yep. You put... I'm looking at one right now. It's got baseballs in it. I used to keep my Legos in a shoebox. Shoeboxes. Okay, Wonderful. I feel like we beat this to death. <laughs> point being, Mr. Blake has a cigar box of photos. The point is that I can relate to this man on multiple levels. So, yeah. Uh, so they use these photos that they find from Mr. Blake's past to, in fact, I think this is the scene where they actually come up with the idea to Scrooge him. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, the idea is that they're there to save his soul because he is so much like Ebenezer Scrooge. He's forgotten where he's from. Mm-hmm. You know, he's forgotten what the past meant to him. He doesn't have any family. He has no love. It's just him and his greed. Right. So if we've got an opportunity well, to visit his past. Yeah, we've got an opportunity to inform his present because we obviously see he's attracted to Scully's hot sister because obviously you're going to be attracted to Scully's <laughs> hot sister. <laughs> well, the thing that's important in any good Scrooge story is that you determine where this character came from and maybe why he turned into what he is now. Right. So that you can see them turn back, right? Sam replaces the driver and they have a little conversation about some of the pictures in the box of his mother, whom was the working poor, I guess, and she cleaned people's houses and she worked hard. I think he said something like she died on her knees. Cleaning, cleaning somebody else's houses. House. Yeah. Yeah, like it's a really damn kind of line like you're just like yeah i'm not going to be that that's why i am who i am you know so that i could climb out of that and i will not be treated the way that my mother was and takes the ambition one step too far a couple of steps too far and of course he gets into automation is his business he buys businesses yeah turns a profit in the business by firing workers and replacing them with automation and then selling that business again in a profit. We continue to lose jobs to automation even now. Mm-hmm. Yep. Automation and AI. Yeah. It hits him especially hard. <laughs> yeah. God, you could say that. <laughs> when he's in his old neighborhood. Killed his best friend. The bakery that he's bragging about having automated earlier in the episode well, one of his childhood best friends, Charlie. Of course, its name's Charlie. <laughs> Why not? Oh, right? Charlie. Oh, no, you don't know about Charlie. <laughs> Charlie worked at the bakery, lost his job when it automated, and then killed himself. <laughs> Walked out in front of a bus. In front of a bus. Yeah. <laughs> rough. And, of course, Real that rough. brings him back down to earth. At the moment that he's hearing this story, Sam has taken him to his old neighborhood. He's having this hallucination we talked about earlier with the kids. Meets up with an old friend that's selling peanuts on the corner. And he's starting to live that life again in his mind Mm -hmm. for a little bit. And this is the story that snaps him out of it. Which is, you know, I'm responsible for killing my childhood friend. (laughs) Right. In an an indirect fashion. Of course, the story's not over yet. You know, obviously... We all know where this is going, and there's got to be some real hard knocks on the way, and that's just one of them. He observes that he's the living embodiment of the American dream, and Sam, getting much more comfortable just 
not tolerating his bullshit says, yeah, and you're miserable. He does more for Pearson in this leap than he typically does for his leap hosts, right? Because I think Pearson is that's fair a groveling <laughs> yes man, probably. Comes and does his job and does, doesn't challenge it. Early in this leap, when Sam is acting like a buffoon, really, <laughs> and Blake starts to observe, like, there's something off with him. Clearly, Sam is acting noticeably different right than Pearson typically is and I gotta believe that extends to how direct he's being his other wormy sidekick yes man character suggests that maybe we let him go or maybe it's time to consider termination <laughs> and it's like too much for even Blake well who is who's the worst dude <laughs> yeah I think the point I think the point of that is that Blake is not so far gone that he doesn't realize he's alone like he knows mm -hmm. he's alone and the one person that's willing to put his underpants on for him is the person that's not going to leave him, right? Oh, yeah. So yeah. I think Pearson gets a little latitude that maybe anybody else might not just by virtue of the fact that this is the person that's not going to leave me. Yeah. And I can treat him like garbage and he still won't go anywhere, right? So I think that... Uh, as Sam starts to have a little bit of backbone and learn where the line is with this guy and push and push and push, I think it kind of leads you to believe that maybe Pearson had a little more, maybe he could say something here and there. But then again, yeah. he might have to bathe him. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's... <laughs> this might be a really tough leap. You might have to bathe him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> this feels like an episode that amidst all of these relatively serious leaps with consequences that aren't as foregone as this one mm -hmm. this is just a fun little christmas story yeah yeah i don't think it aspires to be any more than that right, right. sure so we talked about what the experiences blake has in the present are of course his burgeoning interest in captain downey ghost of christmas present next which is the care of the bells we were talking about earlier mm -hmm. so he's been to the past and now we're going to show him what Christmas is like now with the mission and gain some kind of relationship between he and Captain Downey a little bit. Like, there's a little spark there, right? Remarkably enough. Yeah. I don't know what she's seeing, but... I mean, she's seeing that jawline, man. That's got to be it. But, yeah. um... All right. <laughs> <laughs> she sees what we are meant to see, and that is that there is still good in him. Right, because he comes and he sings and... The touching her hand, all of these little things. Like, she is seeing him in a vulnerable way that most people don't in his life. And she's right? treating him with the respect that only a television character can. Which is, <laughs> <Yeah>. to, say, <laughs> which is to say that yes. because it's Christmas and that it is now in God's hands, the mission will not hate this man for tearing down their building because this is a time for forgiveness and caring. Right, even for those who would do us ill. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So here comes Mr. Blake into the mission on Christmas Eve, and we're not even going to talk about the fact that you're tearing down our building because it's Christmas. Sure, but it is TV. Right, but that's the ghost of Christmas present. He's exposed to what he'd be giving up, what the mission means to people and that neighborhood today, and for a minute he gets tied up in it. So there's this moment where they're in the street and they hear the Carol of the Bells performance. Mm -hmm. And Blake mm -hmm. kind of perks up and Sam says, oh, Carol of the Bells, you know, and he says, I haven't heard this song in a long time. And Sam says, yeah, I haven't heard it in a long time either, you know. Right. And that made me think, how weird must it be to go through years of your life without a Christmas or without April going to May, going to June? 
when Sam is leaping around, he may never experience another Christmas. Isn't that weird? What if you're leaping around and you're just living through a string of non-consecutive back-to-back Mondays? <laughs> Wouldn't that suck? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I guess I never I really... Never, I never think about that. It's always about the era, you know? Yeah. But it's never about like, ah, oh, not a fucking Monday again. Son of a nutcracker! <laughs> God damn it. This is the fifth Monday in a row, you know? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, like it just made I me to... think, like, Sam probably hasn't heard this song in a while. When would he have heard Carol of the Bells? Right, unless he's leaping around Christmas time. Uh, it just sort of raised a question in my head. I'm like, that'd be weird. The opposite could also be true. Leaps to the next December 23rd. You know, like, his next leap is also to December 23rd, but 1983. <laughs> just a bunch of Christmas leaps? It may be if this was just a series of Hallmark movies. Yeah, how many times did they do Christmas? We did we determined two Christmas episodes. I can think of two. What about the one where the angel they run over an angel in their taxi cab? Is that also Christmas? That was the Trump one, wasn't it? Probably. Yes, I think that was a Christmas episode. So they there's... run over the angel, in their... <laughs> but it's like a real angel. So <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think yeah, it's no, I I like legitimately remember. An yeah. Uh, okay, so next Christmas. We've got to do this podcast for two more years. <laughs> so there's a moment there, I guess, he's almost all in. Yeah, and they just use too many orphans. Just about to work. One too many orphans. Yeah, what? <laughs> there's an episode title. <laughs> um, Yeah, it's like he it was all in, and then it's just like, oh, you shouldn't have thrown those last few orphans. That was just too much. Now this looks staged. I see what you're trying yeah, to do. Yeah, that's what it was. Suddenly he felt like he was being manipulated. Which he um, is. He was just mad at the wrong person. Right, right. He's got a plan for this location because he wants some longevity for his... For his name. He's going to immortalize himself in the Blake Plaza. Yeah, or the Trump Tower. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. so as soon as he feels like he's being duped he um you know reverts back to his old ways and sam and al are now at a crossroads feeling like their mission has failed so sam does what any good american would do in this situation passes the fucking buck it's time for (laughs) al to take over (laughs) yeah well i mean like we talked about convenience he's going to be the uh, ghost of christmas future and show Blake what he can expect if he continues to live his life the way that he is. If I'm watching this for the first time, I gotta say, like, as a Quantum Leap viewer, I'm probably pretty surprised by how far they take it. It doesn't happen where a character in the past is capable of seeing anything that happens in the future. Right. But Al shows him news reports Mm -hmm. from 10 years in the future, you know? Uh, He shows him his own tombstone, things like that. And I think we can take most of that at face value because... They have access to that. They have access to it, and Al owns up to all of it. He says, yeah, like, I did everything except that star in the sky, you know? Right. So the news report thing in particular I thought was very, very cool. And I'm like, why didn't you guys just do this at the beginning of the episode? Because I would have thought that would have done the trick. But very, very neat. They drive out to where the mission is, where, where Blake Towers will be, and... Al's able to project this imaged facade off the side of the building to see it. Well, first he appears in the bedroom. That's what Al always does. Al always loves it. With the French maid. Jesus (laughs) Christ. He's such a horn dog. Yeah. As somebody on the subreddit mentioned this past weekend, Al is kind of uh, perfect. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. The excuse is always, oh, well, of its time. This is a show that was progressive enough that it had good intentions. And it's it not was... something I'm ready to cancel. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. No, it was extraordinarily progressive. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just, Al is such an interesting character. <laughs> I feel like intent matters, you know? So, yes. would they do that today? Probably not. Should they? Probably not. But at the time, the show debuted, like, what, six or seven years after Porky's? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, the idea of venturing into the women's locker room was still in the public consciousness. And here's Al, product of the greatest generation, yep. who is invisible to everyone. <laughs> yeah, you know? right. Yeah, we just wouldn't write that character today. No, we but, probably would just avoid like, but it. We, but we also shouldn't cancel it because it was done in the 90s. Oh, like, yeah, the yeah. Of course, intent of matters, I feel like. There are a lot of characters on the show, including Sam, who observe that Al is just this Lothario. Yeah, know? right. Um, yeah. So my favorite of which was probably, again, going back to that episode of Leap for Lisa when Roddy McDowell appears and is making comments about this satyr that you've leaped into. Yeah, right. sure, sure, yeah. Great, <laughs> great stuff. The show is always self-aware of who Allie is, I guess is what we're saying. Right, right. Anyway, he's he appears in the He wakes room. Blake, <laughs> uh, yeah, right. <laughs> and Blake, of course, recognizes him as that pasty-faced guy from the lobby and takes a swing at him. And, of course, he's a hologram, goes right through him, and suddenly you've got a ghost on your hands. That's great. He's able to convince Blake to have Pearson take him downtown to the spot. Sam does a really great job playing all of this off too. Sure. Like looking around. Pretending like, I don't see, like, I don't see him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who are you talking about, sir? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He also plays it so sympathetically like, oh, okay, sir. Yeah. We'll listen to the ghost. You know? <laughs> yeah. What is he yeah. telling you to do now? <laughs> it feels weird watching the end of this episode and seeing Blake look into his future and seeing a New York real estate asshole get his comeuppance is something right. that doesn't happen in the real world very often, I guess. And there's something even now, 30 years later, is very fun to watch. <laughs> yeah. Well, just sitting here now thinking about it and thinking about the news footage of him. Oh, the courthouse. Yeah. Yeah. The courthouse coming down saying, I've made mistakes. You want to talk about the ramifications of a leap actually changing this catastrophe of a real estate project in the middle of downtown New York and turning it into what, after the leap is successful and they keep the Blake Tower there and the mission is inside and people live there. I mean, this is, talk about changing the future. Like, Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. This because is you think huge. There's going to be thousands upon thousands of tenants in this place over the years. Yeah. You know, it's... The Salvation Army doing its work there. It's wide-reaching ramifications, yeah. Right, and in the finale when he's talking to the bartender and the bartender's saying, you think you've just changed a few lives? You changed so many lives. And right, those the lives people you went touched, on to touched change others. others. Yeah. yeah, and those others. And we're talking about this one dude. <laughs> Talk about a butterfly effect, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Yeah, you're right. As Jen would say, the butterfly effect to end all butterfly effects. As yeah. long as the butterfly effect is limited to Manhattan. <laughs> but I mean, like, it's... A, Unless it's, you're protected by the uh, quantum bubble. Quantum bubble, yeah. Yep. 
There's a great line here at the end as Blake breaks down and says, I'm a horrible man. And Sam says, yes, sir. (laughs) (laughs) I I love that. It's like Smithers. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yes, sir. (laughs) Um, That was a good Smithers. (laughs) <laughs> Blake, of course, sees the error of his ways, goes to the mission in the middle of the night, and Captain Downey's still there answering the doors. That's a good woman. She makes that cake. <laughs> and she bakes, too. I hear she's into witch shit. Blake goes in there. They're married within, like, what, like a year or two or something. They have three kids or, you know, it's... Something to that effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, 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 everything turns out great. And then Sam is like, oh, so he doesn't build the plaza. No, he still builds the plaza. They're right. like, what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but puts the mission on the first floor of the plaza, like you mentioned. So it's it's everything turns out well for everybody at the end of this episode. Right. Um, as it must, because it's a Christmas episode. And it's Quantum um, Leap. Gotta work and, or he'd be stranded there, right? Didn't we learn that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You don't want to be stranded little... as Pearson. I oh, mean... God, wouldn't that suck? There's gotta be... <laughs> Can you we, imagine we gotta, being gotta... stranded as Pearson? At some point, we've gotta go through and do, like, our bottom five characters to be stranded in time as... Oh, that'd be good. ...of, like, original Quantum Leap. Like, the leaps that Sam needed to get through the most to not be stuck as this schlub Just for the rest of his life. Just to not be that guy. Yeah, that I is mean, a good... That is a good idea for an episode. I mean, number one's gotta be the monkey, right? <laughs> Does it? I don't know. Monkey life seems pretty Pierce, good to me. Pearson is number one. Monkey's number two. <laughs> like, anyways, the last little effect we get is the bright star in the night sky shining down on the door of the uh, the mission. And Sam remarks that that was a really great effect. And Al Yeah, we were says, talking about a star. It's a spotlight in the sky. Yeah. Shining its spotlight on the door of the mission. And uh, I guess the... Is the music supposed to be playing, or is that just the score to the show, do you think? I, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it was the score. Yeah, probably. Yeah, the idea being like, okay, now he's hit rock bottom, he's decided to be a changed man, more or less, but this star is pointing on him to go knock on the door of the uh, Salvation Army. Who shown the star down? Well, it wasn't Al. It's not a, a, a hoax. It's not a scam. It's an actual star shining down on the door mm-hmm. of this. And, and this is the second question I had for you, the second sort of thought. It, obviously, it's played up to think like there's some sort of mystical power shining this light down. It's like... Well, it's played to be God, right? I mean, it's right, God. Right, Yeah. How would New Quantum Leap have handled this moment? They wouldn't have done it. They would have said it was the accelerator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, look at that star that the accelerator is forcing to shine down on this door. No, this is no, very... No, you're right. They wouldn't have done it. Right. This is very much like you're not going to see this in New Quantum Leap. If and when they ever get to the point they're showing this kind of thing, this show will have turned some manner of corner. Or, because... or jump the shark. <laughs> yeah, maybe jump the shark would be a way to, to put it. But, I mean, this is much more like one of your better observations from the witch episode is that that Morgan character almost 100% would have been a real witch in <laughs> original Quantum Leap, you right. know? Or like, was she, wasn't she? It's sort of yep. like this The star is in the sky. It's like, what? Did you put the star there? No, I didn't do it. What are you talking about? This show it's will like, emphatically. What was that? 
New Quantum Leap will emphatically shy away from last minute reveals that suggest some sort of mysticisms at work. Right. Yeah. Right. Whereas the original series did it all the time with vampires, with ghosts, ghosts yeah. with aliens, you know, stars, with aliens, you know. Yeah, because yeah. it was all about it was about telling a story and putting out an environment and like it wasn't so caught up in how things worked and it didn't really matter. The story was always yeah. about the drama and the of the characters and what they were feeling and it, it, what they were doing. It wasn't caught up in its own mythology. Yeah, right, right. Right. That wasn't the point. The great thing about the original series continuity, one of my favorite comic book writers is Mark Wade. And I always quote him when he talks about continuity. You know, he's one of the biggest continuity string comic writers oh my in, God. in the yeah. world. Like yes. he's a encyclopedic knowledge of probably both of the big two, DC and Marvel, going all the way back. Uh, he can catalog these things. But he has said of continuity that you have to treat it as a guide and not a cage. That's a really good way to put it. It's okay if you're going to break continuity a little bit on something if it means that the story will work. Yeah, you it know? only works as like, long as it works. Right, exactly. Don't let it's don't let continuity prevent you from telling the best story that you can. Yes. Did we already establish that Sam looks like a woman when he's a woman and Al sees him as a woman? Well, it's great for this episode, but you know what? In the long run, that's probably not what we want to do. So yeah, it's been about a half a season, a season and a half. We're going to, no, it works better this way, and we're just going to change it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like if uh, New Quantum Leap made that kind of change, you know, from Al sees Sam as the person they've leaped into, or Al sees Sam as Sam, you know, they made the change. I feel like I wouldn't allow this show to do that. I think if the new Quantum Leap tried to make some kind of change to something that they established already, I wouldn't let him off the hook because... That's right. <laughs> I'm a jerk? I don't know. Uh, no, no, no. But I mean, like, they've spent a lot of time investing their stories in how this all works. What is the structure of Project Quantum Leap look like? Yet somehow they don't explain it very well. Right. Yeah. So, like, that's what's so frustrating is, like... Like we're talking about with Hannah, like, don't over-explain anything. The more you tell us about what happens in the interim between Hannah and Ben's meetings, the less room you have to play with that time later. Yeah, right? that's... Yeah. That's why it was so perfect that we didn't get a whole lot of anything over the last six years. It was just... She's been introducing herself to strangers, asking if they're Ben, you know, basically. Right. Uh, right. And it told us everything we needed to know. That was a great a, a great moment. So, but yeah, I kind of getting back to original Quantum Leap, it, they just kind of changed the rules as they needed to be for the story that they were telling. And eventually they got to a point that worked the best and gave themselves a structure that they worked within, and it was very flexible. You know, flexible yep. as it needed to be, but structured enough that it also drove certain stories. That's what I like about the old one is it just opens up the different kinds of stories you can tell, you know. 
Yes. And I guess that's kind of what was always the focus of old Quantum Leap. Let's tell the neatest, most fascinating original story we can. Mm -hmm. Or in this case, uh, a Christmas carol. <laughs> no, or just or just retell an old story that <laughs> we, we all know. Just rehash some old one. <laughs> but, but add our own little unique flair to it. This is definitely one of the cornball episodes. Those were never really my favorite when it came to Quantum Leap. I always like the ones that seem to have a whole lot of gravity. Sure. You know? Sure. And then if I needed something a little lighter, I'd want something like a sports episode. <laughs> you know? Sure. The, the clowny ones have never really been my favorite. And this kind of feels clownish to me. It's definitely like... It's a little silly. There's a lot of jokes. Sam gets a lot of gags and a lot of jokes in this episode. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah, it's definitely designed to be a lighter sillier kind of episode that's why it goes well for me it always went well on like christmas eve and i'm like i gotta experience this story in some way i gotta remind myself not to be a dick for another year right <laughs> is that what, <laughs> what christmas is all about <laughs> yeah i mean obviously you have an affinity for this episode but it's not a christmas tradition in the uh martin household do you are there specific movies that you definitely go to things that you actually do for christmas tradition wise no i mean the only tradition i have in my home and this has been a long-standing tradition for decades in the martin household okay is that at some point i don't know i guess around the time i was 10 or 11 probably around the same time i i came into contact with this episode for the first time hmm. my mother obtained from a craft store or maybe a craft show four little wooden block elves that spelled out the word Noel. Okay. It would always be sitting on a shelf in our house at Christmas time. Mm -hmm. And every time I walked past it, I would scramble the letters and make it say Leon, and I would walk away. <laughs> and then I'd come back by it later, and it would be back at Noel, and I would put it back at Leon, and it became <laughs> this sort of like silent war of Christmas. Right. That's kind of fun. And, and so years went by, and we're finally kind of talking about it as a family and my brother my dad and i had all been doing it. changing it to leon changing it to leon and my mother by herself had been constantly changing it back to noel and we all were convinced that we're the ones that started it it just sort of naturally evolved and then about a year after that my mother gifted my brother and i our own sets of those that she made Oh, that's cool. So now we have it in our home. And so I put it up and I make it say Leon. <laughs> and then my son, it's all fun. And I've explained the tradition to my son. And then he went up and scrambled it again and made it say Elon. And I said, you change that right now. <laughs> <laughs> I will not have that in my house. <laughs> that is the only Christmas tradition that the Martin family has. That's a good. That's a good story. You guys have any traditions out there of your own? Uh, any Quantum Leap-related Christmas traditions? Today's the day to let us know. Do you find yourselves traveling through time? <laughs> <laughs> Pining for the days of youth? Are you trapped in a dumpy body? No, that's yeah. terrible. <laughs> <laughs> don't. Yeah, don't worry. New Year's is right around the corner if that's the case. Uh, new Year, New You. But, folks, yes. I hope you have a wonderful Christmas. Uh, remember to subscribe to the feed so you never miss an episode. And be sure to review the show and tell all your Quantum Leap loving buddies about it. 
You can subscribe through our feed. You can subscribe through the Paprika feed. Paprika is embarking on its last year, 2024. Yeah. Um, Daryl's just tired of running the damn thing, I think. But it's too um, bad. It's been great. It's been a good but, run. I, I've only been on here for the tail end of it, and uh, I really enjoyed it. But the far. Paprika feed now features a lot of classic episodes of Paprika, including shows that I was on several years ago, like Choose Our Own Adventure. Some old draft episodes are up there now. There's a lot of fun stuff from the the years and years there. So if you guys are looking for some quality entertainment, let's say today you're listening to this, you've still got about eight hours left on your drive. <laughs> Hit the Paprika feed, guys. Listen to some of the old stuff. We're available on YouTube in an audio format, and you can like, comment, and subscribe there. Please do reach out to us at oboyqlpod at gmail.com. Tell us your Christmas traditions. Tell us your uh, your New Year's resolutions. I need some inspiration in that department, I think. Mm. Look for us on social media. I'm at Captain Burn on Blue Sky and Threads. And I am at Action Nate on Blue Sky and Threads. Nate tends to post more about quantum leap than i do what but, else is know, there to talk about there's nothing really else uh <laughs> speaking of which guys uh we we will continue in the, in the interim here to come back with new episodes we got some stuff on the uh coffers there waiting for the new year so we'll be taking a week off at after least this yeah um, and then we'll be back in January with some new stuff. I don't know when uh, new episodes of Quantum Leap will be out, but of course we'll be back every Monday after a new episode of that. But in the meantime, guys, happy holidays. Merry Christmas, Brian. Merry Christmas, Nate. Take care of yourselves. <laughs> we'll be here in the waiting room. <laughs>